listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, those of you joining us online, thank you for worshiping with us here today. We're honored to host you. Let's get into the scripture together. Uh, I am referring your attention to uh, the book of Daniel. I know you're surprised by that. I was going to do a, a summer series in Daniel, and I've gotten stuck in the book of Daniel, and I can't seem to get out of it. It is, uh, in spite of having taught and preached through the book of Daniel um, at least once, I think maybe twice, um, I have even so found myself uh, just amazed again and again uh, at the depth of these scriptures. And so uh, you can remain in your seats. I'm going to refer th to some of the passages. We are primarily in chapter number six of the book of Daniel. And uh, my title today is Stand Out and Stand Up. Say it with me. Stand out and stand up. All right. Verse number one, chapter number six. Somebody say, I'm going to help the preacher. All right, this side's a little slack over here. I'm going to need y'all to help the preacher, all right? Okay, it pleased Darius. Who was Darius? Darius, at this moment, is the greatest king alive in the world. And this kingdom of the Medes and Persians uh, has conquered the uh, area that we think of as uh, the Holy Land and beyond. Uh, this kingdom has conquered Babylon. It has conquered Egypt. And there is no competing kingdom really within reach to threaten it in any way. And so the immediately available world to them, there, of course, was things happening on the other side of the Himalayas, and there was things happening in the far, far east. But for all intents and purposes, the world as they knew it is essentially under the control of this man. Uh, this man, Darius, uh, is the king, and he decides to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps. Uh, how many of you know what a satrap is? Uh, just think an executive vice president. So every time it says satrap, I want you to think executive vice president. Uh, Darius decides to set, set up 120 uh, executive vice presidents to be throughout the whole kingdom. And on top of them, there's going to be three that are like the high council of executive vice presidents. They are like the governing council over them all. And Daniel is one of these three, uh, not the 120 uh, underlings, uh, but one of the top three, um, as it were, executives of, of the kingdom. And uh, the reason why the king had organized this king in this way is that uh, he, he explains here in verse number three, so that the king might suffer no loss. He needed someone to manage his business. Don't you wish you had somebody to manage your business? You ever get a bill and you don't know where it came from? You see, if you had a house manager like Pastor Don, um, then you wouldn't have to worry about that. And if you had a personal secretary, uh, also like Pastor Don, then you would not have to worry about that kind of a thing. But um, he obviously owns more than he can keep track of. So he establishes 120 executive vice presidents, also known as satraps. In fact, if any of you parents want to have fun with your kids, you can pronounce yourself the house satrap. And uh, if your kid says something snarky like the house sad sack, you say, no, satrap, executive vice president. No one wants to be the executive vice president. We all want to be the king. In the history of the world, no one has ever demanded to see the assistant manager. <laughs> 
but uh, here you see Daniel is uh, that governing council, the top three who bring direct report to uh, King Darius. Now, verse number three, I want you to notice something. This is important. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit. Uh, he did not simply have the ability to do excellent work. It was in his heart. He desired to do excellent work. Like, for example, I have the ability to mow the lawn in an excellent way. I just don't have the desire to mow the lawn in an excellent way. However, there are some people who they are out there at the crack of dawn cutting their lawn with scissors. They're obsessing over it. I have a neighbor who every time, I call it dad shaming. Every Saturday, he dad shames me. I'm tired. I'm sleeping in. He's out there fixing things. He's out washing windows. He's dad shaming me, and I don't even care. <laughs> I don't even care. I'm just going to have to deal with that at the judgment. Peter, like, you didn't do as good as your neighbor. I'll be like, I know. Take me now. Take me now. <laughs> you slept in instead of getting up and mowing the grass. I know. <laughs> Hashtag worth it. <laughs> Um, Daniel had an excellent spirit. He didn't just have the ability to do great work. He had a desire to be uh, excellent. One of the values of our leadership team here at the church that we say uh, one to another when we have our meetings is uh, we want to have that excellent spirit. We want to do things well. We want to uh, pursue excellence. Now, oftentimes, life happens. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we have to roll with the punches. Uh, like, for example, this morning, the uh, screen behind the pulpit decided it was taking Labor Day. It was taking Labor Day weekend off, and so it's not even there right now. It's in Florida somewhere enjoying uh, the last summer vacation. Um, but we want to have that excellent spirit. And the king, the Bible says, planned to set Daniel over the, high, the whole kingdom. He so distinguished himself that the king said, my, my life would be better if I just would put everything in Daniel's, in Daniel's care and hands. Now, as you can imagine, the other leaders don't take this very well, and the Bible tells us that the other high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint nor or any fault because Daniel was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. This is as high a praise as anybody can give you. Uh, whatever you do, I hope you're good at it. Life's better when you're good at what you do. Um, Daniel was so good at what he did that he stood out. He had um, people notice him because he was good. I, just a moment, I'm going to go over the reasons why, some of the reasons why he was good. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to see that his competitors, shall we say, the other uh, members of this council, they came upon this realization, verse number five. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
In other words, we have to create a lose-lose scenario where his very faithfulness is used against him. This is the highest praise anybody can give a person of character to say, I'm going to have to trap them where it is their own desire to do good that is putting them at risk. Now, I have a question for you. I think all of us should be interested in this. Are you ready for a deep theological question? Somebody say, I'm ready. Thank you very much. Why did Daniel keep getting promoted at work? I think we ought to figure this out, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is a great problem. Uh, I know, uh, you know, most of us would like to just keep being promoted at work. Um, I know we would like to rise to the top of whatever uh, field we're in. If we're in business, we would like our business to do excellently. Can I have an amen? If we're in the corporate world, we pretty much want to be CEO. Don't act like you don't want to. I won't believe it if you say it. You secretly believe you should be put in charge and the world would work better. Maybe you're right. We'll have to see. Why did Daniel keep getting promoted at work? Three things. And the Bible shows us these things, two of them directly and the third indirectly, but I will explain. First of all, competence. Competent people get noticed. They stand out. We read verse number three. Daniel so distinguished himself above all the other governors and administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the entire king kingdom. Uh, competence will make people notice you. Secondly, he is brought to the attention of people by his character. This is why he keeps getting promoted. Number one, he is hyper-competent, super-competent. Number two, his character is notable. This is verse number four. Uh, when the administrators heard the news, they uh, tried to find a reason to destroy Daniel. They could not, and they could not find anything against it. They quit looking. Uh, he, <laughs> he literally forced them to try to reveal their own character in a bid to hurt him. This is going to backfire on them, but I want you to see that they could not find anything against him. He was honest, reliable, hardworking, and incorruptible. He was never lazy nor negligent in any task. Whatever you do, whether you are in school, whether you are in university, uh, whether you are in business, whether you are in an institution, uh, you work for a nonprofit, you are a part of uh, the administrations of government, whatever it is you do, uh, you will always find yourself being promoted when you are competent, not just as good as others, but hyper-competent. Number two, you will find yourself being promoted when your character is larger than your circumstances. Uh, your circumstances will always test your character. And once you reveal your character is not able to handle what you are being given, you will notice that whatever it is, the institution, the organization will limit you at the level of your character. Once you can no longer deal with temptation, once you reveal your character, now you're insecure, now you're petty, now you're greedy, now in worst case, you're even criminal. 
it, if it's not something to be persecuted, will at that moment serve as your ceiling. But when you are more competent than your job requires and your character is stronger than the temptations of your context, then the institution, the organization, the business, your career is always promoting you. I want to be clear about this. Church is not the only place looking for competent people of good character. The church is not the only place looking for talented people with good hearts. Businesses, uh, organizations, institutions, uh, academies, uh, universities, all of them are looking for people of strong competence and strong character. Two of them are direct, directly pointed out in the story. The third is indirect. And I want to, if, if, if you can uh, stri- strive to see this with me, I think it's one of the most profound lessons uh, in the story of Daniel. The third lesson is this. Daniel was creative, not confrontational. So let me explain. Daniel is always standing out in lieu of his competence, in lieu of his character, but he's not always standing up. What do I mean by that? Um, He is not looking to fight over everything. Daniel, as much as he can, is looking to work with other people in good faith with a good heart. He's not fighting over every hill in the wilderness. He's not fighting over every battle. I know Christians who think that if they're not fighting over everything that they disapprove of, they're in some way disappointing God, and then they wonder why they have no influence with people because they're fighting over everything. Daniel is always standing out, but he's not always standing up. However, because he is standing out, when he does stand up, it will draw attention and leave a testimony. People who are trying to fight over over everything and they're standing up over everything are soon ignored because they are more trouble than they are worth. You hear the story about the, the, the mighty knight who came back to the court of the king and he's covered in dirt and blood and sweat and his armor's all dented up and he, uh, he staggers in before the king and the king says, uh, knight, what, what are you doing? And the knight says, oh, king, I'm fighting our enemies to the east. The king said, huh, we don't have any enemies to the east. And the knight said, "Uh, well, we do now. (laughs) Um, If you fight over everything, you're more trouble than you're worth. And everybody, everything will find everybody, everything, your job, your institution, your education will find a way to ignore you. You see, in society today, people think that standing up is the way to stand out. And therefore, they think if they protest everything or call out everybody or have an opinion on everything uh, or try to cancel everybody, not everything in that culture is wrong and not everything in that culture comes from a bad place. But if your primary value added is to try to fight condemn, judge over everything, I promise you, standing up will not make you stand out. You do not stand up first and then stand out. First you stand out, people notice your competence, people notice your character, and then when you stand up, people notice what you are standing for. Right. 
And so let's not get those things, those things confused. Uh, Daniel is not looking to fight over everything. Uh, you will find again and again that he, as best as he can, tries to get along. He tries to work with people. That does not mean he is unwilling to stand up. He just wants it to mean something when he stands up. Uh, according to the book of Daniel, we know that uh, Daniel served under four kings in two different kingdoms. Uh, first was the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. He served under him. And then he served under his foolish son, Nebuchadnezzar's son named Belshazzar, who actually loses the Babylonian kingdom, and the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians arises on the world stage, and Babylon as a kingdom falls and is destroyed. Uh, you would think that the whole household of the king would be uh, either expelled or threatened, but Daniel, he is uh, brought into the household of the next kingdom, and this is uh, Darius, who is the new, as it were, ruler of the world. So there's been a kingdom change. It's not just an administration change, but a kingdom change, different laws, different customs, different responsibilities. Daniel survives that, and then when Darius dies, Daniel survives his uh, fourth administration change, second kingdom change, fourth administration change and he served Cyrus um, from uh, 560 to 530 uh, B.C. He has uh, served in different uh, administrations. He served different kingdoms. He shows extreme creativity in finding a way to get along with people and be true to his faith. That's what should be said about Christian people. We're not looking to make enemies. We're not looking to cause trouble and we're serving the God of peace. As much as in us lie, we are seeking to follow peace with all men. However, do not believe that because we do not stand up over everything and we do not fight over everything that we are unwilling to fight. When it matters, we are willing to stand. I want to point out something very clear. Never be deceived by gentleness and think that gentleness is weakness because the willingness to fight is not the same thing as uh, an attitude looking for a fight. Some of the most strong, the strongest people you could ever know, uh, they seem very gentle because they don't care about what you're selling. But if you found something, if you push and, 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 and push and push, you would eventually find something they cared about, and that would be something that they would not allow to stand. I, growing up, had a tremendous example of this in my life uh, with my own dad, who was um, known as, you know, the, the most common thing said about my dad is he's the greatest Christian that someone has ever known. I agree. I say that. I add to it this, the closer you get to him, the better he looks. That's the highest praise you can give anybody. The closer you get to him, the better they look. All right. Uh, but I also want to say I'm a little bit mad when people say that because no one ever says it about me. I don't know what they're trying to say, but I, 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 I anyway, moving along. 
My dad was famously gentle uh, growing up. Um, I had other uncles who thought to make real men, you know, you kind of real rough on your kids and, you know, shame them and kind of knock them around a little bit and embarrass them. And my dad never did that with any of his kids. And we were raised fairly, fairly gently. Um, And we had, we had, uh, uh, you know, a great realization as we came of age that although my dad was gentle, he was not weak. And uh, I had a funny story. I'll probably get in trouble for telling you all this, but uh, I enjoyed the story. When we were building this building, I was 14, uh, between 13 and 15, but I think this happened when I was 14. Um, And we had been working and working. We built, we worked uh, uh, basically you know, uh, two and a half years just to get in the building. And if you count the projects finishing, we worked three years uh, because we built this building ourselves. And um, this was my formative experience, 13, 14, 15, going to Eastway Junior High over here, riding my bike up here when I got off work, working with my dad uh, until, uh, you know, this, uh, depending on if we had any volunteers. We had volunteers, we'd stay till they got tired. If not, we'd quit about 7.38, and I'd throw my bike up in the back of that 66 Chevy pickup with a flatbed, and we would drive home, and my mom would cook for us, and uh, those were formative years for me, and uh, we were tired, and my dad had been working and pastoring and working and pastoring, and we were invited to go to Carowinds with some other preachers. Now, uh, these other preachers, I could name some of their names, and you would know them, but the difference in them and my dad is my dad was always a gentle pastor. He was strong, but he was always gentle, and these guys were all wannabe fighters. They were all tough guy preachers. You ever hear a preacher when you when he's preaching, you wonder what he's so mad about? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because his wife was mean to him on the way to church. That's always the why the pastor is mad. That's funny. That's why um, my wife didn't ride with me this morning. She said, I'm not giving you any excuse to use me as a preaching illustration. No, I'm just cutting up. Me and my wife tease each other incessantly. I like it no other way. Uh, so anyway, uh, we go to Carowinds and all of these in my mind, I thought all of these guys were tough preachers. I really did because they, they preached tough. They preached hard. Bless God, going to be strong pastors. And my dad was always gentle and, you know, we're going to love God. And, I, you know, and I, he just didn't seem as tough to me, you know, until one day we were in line at Carowinds and somebody threw a drink. You know how they have the lines lined up and waiting for the ride? Someone threw a drink and it comes sailing through the air and it hits this guy who's just a, he's, he's already a, a dangerous looking dude and he's just a really rough looking guy and it just splatters all over him and he's furious and he turns around and he sees this group of preachers standing there and all of them are just as proper as they can be, you know, and uh, he thinks one of them threw the, drunk, the, the, the drink at him that smashed all over him and he just started screaming and cussing and he spun around and started hopping over the barriers and he came right up into the midst of them and he's like in their face screaming and cussing at him, yeah, blah, 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 blankety, blank, 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 and, and they're all backing up, well, I didn't throw it, I, I didn't throw it, and they're like, no, I didn't throw it, I didn't throw it, I didn't throw a bunch of sissified sissies, and I didn't throw it, and I, 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 would, I didn't throw it, and they got to my dad, and he got up in my dad's face, I don't need this, it's a bloppity blop, and, and, and the beepity beep, and, and cursity curse, and all this stuff, my dad doesn't give an inch, and that guy's nose nose of my dad, my dad takes a step right toward him. And he says, I didn't throw a drink at you, but if you would like to take this the next step, we can figure it out from there. (laughs) 
I realized at that moment that all these tough guy preachers who knew how to scare all the little ladies who were at church anyway, not one of them was willing to go there until sweet old dad said, if you'd like to take this and figure it out from the next level, we can do that. Well, uh, he was embarrassed by it, but if you do enough construction, you'll get angry too. (laughs) The guy immediately changed his attitude. He's like, oh, well, I I just thought you threw it. I just thought you threw it. From that day forward, my dad had a reputation in this district of being a tough guy. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Someone finally saw what I'm working with. (laughs) Anyway, moving along. So uh, don't mistake someone's gentleness for weakness. And uh, this is exactly the reality of Daniel. Daniel is trying to get along with people. He's being creative. He's working with different kings, different legal systems, different customs. He's not trying to fight over everything. But do not think for a minute that he is unwilling to stand up when it is time to stand up. And so real quick, they trap him. Uh, this, these other officials trap him, and they use uh, one of the laws of the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. Now, real quick, in the Babylonian kingdom, the law of the king's word was law. He could change it as he wanted. But the Medes and Persians, they, uh, uh, they, they believed law was greater than the king, and so the king could not change a law that had been established. And in many ways, uh, this is the rise of uh, modern government, where even the leaders of a nation or whatever are subject to the laws of that nation. Um, But they trap Daniel by saying, they pass this silly law. You can read about it in verses 6 through 9. 30 days, the only petitions can be made to you, king. And anybody who disobeys, thrown into the den of lions. And uh, the king is tricked by this. And uh, this sets the trap for Daniel to face something worth standing up over. He's not willing to go along with everything. He doesn't want to fight over everything. He's not willing to go, stand, go, go along with everything. And I, I want to tell all of you uh, this truth. There will come a time in your life of witness where God has set the stage for you to stand up. Your responsibility has not been to have a debate over everything. Your responsibility has not been to fight over everything and make enemies over everything. Your responsibility has not been at that moment to stand up. It has been to stand out. And through your competence, yes, we ought to do what we do excellently. Can I have an amen? And through your character, your choices testify of which kingdom you are serving. And through your creativity, yes, you are standing out. You are being noticed. And now when something worth standing up over happens, it is a moment that God will use for you not just to stand out, but for you to stand up. I love a quote. I I remembered it, and I searched this morning trying to find it. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this quote. Obviously, before he was assassinated, um, he gave this quote, and he was actually being asked about that, uh, threats against his life. And he said this, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end or the point of life. The end of life is not to be happy. 
The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. Isn't that an amazing quote from a man who actually would give his life for something that he uh, believed in? But notice verse 10, chapter number 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew it had happened. He was waiting for it to happen. It's time to stand up. Somebody say that with me. It's time to stand up. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel, why will you risk everything now that you know your life is being threatened? Why will you risk everything now that you know the decree is in law and cannot be taken back? I'll tell you why. And it should be a lesson to every one of you here today striving to manifest the kingdom of God in your world. Here is number one. Daniel isn't serving himself. So his most important value isn't making himself safe. People whose greatest value is to make themselves safe are revealing that their highest value is the self they are making safe. Daniel is not trying to serve himself. He is trying to spend himself for something that is more important than he is. God save us from so-called Christians who really have a religious form of self-service by another name. The church is not about us serving, satisfying, or satiating the self. The church is about us following the model of Jesus Christ who did not come to be served but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. And he invites any who would follow him to start like this. Deny yourself. You aren't the most important person in the story. I am not the most important person in the story. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross, not his cross, your cross. What is your redemptive purpose? How do you make a broken world whole? Pick up your cross and now follow in the way that Jesus has led you. And can the church say amen? Daniel understands that God has placed him intentionally. God has blessed him intentionally. And God has favored him intentionally. Daniel knows that like Esther, who even fearful that her life would be taken from her if she breaks the tradition and the law of uh, the house of the king and enters into the king's uh, place, uh, the the king's court uh, without invitation. And Mordecai says to her, Esther, it might be that you were placed where you are for such a time as this. Esther, your job is not to go looking for trouble. Your job is to wait for the moment when God asks you to stand up. Your job is not to go around making a general nuisance of yourself. You just lose influence that way. As much as you can, you want to get along. As much as you can, you want to do your part. You want to be a team player. But a moment may come that is a God moment where he is going to change everything because you serve him and not yourself. Esther, it may be for such a time as this. 
and Daniel goes up to his rooftop and there before the window where people could see him, uh, he bows his knees and he prays not just once. Uh, he prays and he does not just ask God. He gives thanks to God. Do you know how to give thanks to God in the middle of your trouble? He's risking his life and he's still saying, uh, thank you God for this opportunity to risk my life. <laughs> he's not primarily focused on self. He is spending himself for something that is greater than himself. What happens when we stand up? Well, we make an invisible kingdom visible. Did you hear what I said? What happens when we stand up? We make an invisible kingdom visible. You see, the world assumes it knows you. The world assumes it's, uh, it knows you because it's just like you. You primarily want yourself to be pleased. You want yourself to be safe. You want yourself to be served. The world thinks it knows you until you stand up. And you don't serve yourself, but you spend yourself. All of a sudden, you get the attention of the world. 1 Peter 2 and 10, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not in this place by accident. We have been chosen. We have been given a royal identity. We have been made holy by the precious blood of Jesus. We have different values than the world, which makes us peculiar. But why are we here? Why are we peculiar? Why do we have a royal identity? Why have we been made holy by Calvary's work? Why have we been chosen through mercy and grace? Because we are revealing a kingdom that will never be revealed unless somebody stands out and then in the moment of testimony decides to stand up. This isn't easy for us. I don't want to act like it is. Uh, we are all tempted to serve ourselves. It's the truth. We are all tempted to serve ourselves. If we're not careful, we make church about us. And if we weren't blessed, we get mad. If we're not careful, we make fellowship about us. If we didn't get to sit with our friends, we get mad. If we're not careful, we make the kingdom about us. And if we're not promoted and given the title we want, uh, we get mad. It's very natural, but when we live that way, the world understands us and we don't reveal a kingdom that is not of this world. It's only when we spend ourselves, when we say, here I am, send me. When we say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not through the service of self, but through the spending of self that we reveal an intent, an invisible kingdom. Suddenly the world can see there is another world than this world of competition and hate, this world of justice and despair there is another kingdom uh, and these are the people of that kingdom it isn't easy to turn away from self it is the daily self discipline that is so necessary it is the daily crucifixion of flesh to use the image that the apostle paul used which is harsh but 
is even harsher to them than it is to us. It was more offensive to the people he said it to than it was to us. We've glorified the cross and given it all of the uh, beauty and uh, soft lights of religious admiration. In that world, it was nothing but a horrible death of dominion by a power, uh, dominion by a kingdom that had destroyed your way of life. And that's what Paul said we had to do to our flesh. Otherwise, we're always being tempted to serve the self. I am not preaching to you an easy path where all you have to do is act like Jesus did it all. Nor am I preaching to you a path where you get to blame the devil for everything going on. I am here to tell you the truth about yourself and that is uh, the biggest problem in your life is not a problem you can rebuke. It's a problem you have to crucify and you are the problem. You have to pray. You have to say, not my way. You have to say, not my desires. You have to say, not. forget about the idea that this is an easy path. Forget about the idea that serving God is a formula of sorts where you get to be right and judge who is or isn't right. That is silly. This is much deeper and much harder than this. Every day, yourself is trying to take over and have you judge God. And every day, your spirit, the spiritual side of you is saying, no, you will not judge God. You will judge the self and you will humble yourself before God and it will be be the battle of your life. Uh, nobody's excited about that. Sorry for being negative. Sorry for uh, preaching too much truth for you here today. What's killing you? What is hurting you? Make sure it's not some error in yourself of misunderstanding uh, in some way thinking that the church and God is about serving me and giving me and blessing me and I'm here to get my blessing, Lord. Uh, I'm all for blessing. I'm all for favor. One of the most common things you will hear me pray if you're a fly on the wall of my prayer time. The most common things you'll hear me pray is for God to bless you and God to give you favor and to God to fight your battles. It's the most common thing I pray. I believe it. I desire it. I want to be people of favor. But at the end of the day, it's not about God serving me. It's about me serving God. This is why children of God can offer themselves, take a stand. Some of them are rescued. Some of them are, some of them die in the moment of persecution, but it was worth it for both groups. Why? Both became testimonies and both decided to spend themselves for something that was greater than the self they were spending. All right, let me move along. It's not easy. Remember the New Testament church, Acts chapter number four. Lord, you know the threats people make, so help us as your servants to speak your word without fear. Lord, I'm praying today, we don't want to be people that fight over everything. We don't want to make social media our personal battleground where we have to fight everything out and virtue signal to the world about how goody two-shoes we are. But Lord Jesus, there's a moment when standing up is of God and and it is the spending of self for the furthering of the kingdom. And when that happens, God, we as your people, we want to honor you. We want to spend the self in order to have the identity of your kingdom upon us. And can the church say amen? amen. 
Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and 8, you must never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer if necessary to share the good news. Three things happen when we stand up. And I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. Uh, I'm going to give these to you in a uh, fairly quick manner if I can, unless I get sidetracked, and you know how I do, so just pray you'll get lucky today, uh, even though you secretly know probably not. Um, (laughs) Three things happen when you stand up. Three things. Number one, when you stand up. Remember, we're not fighting over everything, but that doesn't mean we're not willing to fight. We're standing out through competence, and we're standing out through character, and we're standing out through creativity. But there's a time when we stand up. And because we've stood out, we have the attention of people focused on us when we do stand up. So three things happen when we stand up. Number one, we create, hear me, an environment for a miracle. We create an environment for a miracle. Something happens when we've done everything we can do and we cast ourselves wholly upon God with this foundation. God, if you save me, that's fine. If you don't save me, it was still worth it because I'm not serving me. There's something more important than me. And when it comes to these issues, I'm willing to spend me in order to serve you. Something powerful happens. You will never have such great faith in your life as when you're willing to spend yourself for something that is of greater importance than you are. So let me take you back to Daniel 6. The first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the pit filled with lions. You'll remember, those of you who have heard the story, Daniel is trapped by this. He is brought before the king. The king realizes this trap has been uh, done. It's not been in good faith. And he realizes that the character of Daniel is revealed and the character of these fools who entrapped him is revealed. But the king is trapped by the legal requirements of law mattering more than king. And he cannot change that which has been uh, decreed. And so he asks Daniel, he says, Daniel, uh, I hope, I pray your God will save you. And uh, they put Daniel in this den of lions. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the pit filled with lions. And when he got there, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. The testimony began before he knew whether or not Daniel had survived. Oh, I wish someone would hear me. That's some fine preaching right there. We think it's not a testimony unless Daniel's alive. But a man like Daniel, who has already stood out, makes waves when he decides to stand up. And the testimony is already given whether or not Daniel comes out of the lion's den. How about them apples? Uh, Servant of the living God, has your king whom you, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from lions? And I like to think that Daniel paused. And he's like, hey, Simba. Should I answer him? 
And Simba says, Lockjaw. Their mouths are closed. Y'all didn't get that, but I enjoy doing it, and I don't even care. Y'all too dignified for a fine, fine uh, child minister like myself. Simba, should I answer? Has your God been able to save you? Daniel answered, Oh, King, look at that list. It has an exclamation mark. He's happy. Well, hey, did you bring Starbucks? My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And they have not hurt me at all because God knew I've done nothing against him or you, O king. The Bible says the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. And when Daniel was lifted out, there was not a single scratch on his body because he had trusted God. The first thing that happens is you create an environment for a miracle, but do not mistake the miracle for your testimony. The miracle is part of your testimony, but whether or not you have a lion's den testimony, they're still impressed when people who stand out decide to stand up. So number two, I want you to see that a witness is given. A witness is given whether or not the miracle is received. Number one, your faith creates an environment for a miracle. But number two, a witness is given and it's not just given to believers. It's also given to unbelievers. And it's not just in the story of Daniel. It's in the story of the New Testament church. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, chapter one, verse 14. Because of what I have been through. Paul, what have you been through? I've been shipwrecked. I've been snake bit. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been talked about. And I've been fed bad food. That wasn't in there, but it's no fun having bad food. (sighs) Because of what I've been through, many of the Christians here have what? Have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. When you stand up, the believer is given a witness, but it's not just the believer. The unbeliever also, Acts 4, verse number 13, when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were amazed since they knew they were just ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. They were just ordinary men, but, somebody say it with me, they had been with Jesus. So both believers and unbelievers get a witness when people who stand out decide to stand up. And finally, I want to show you in the story of Daniel the same principle. What is that? A witness is given. Chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. 
and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even until the end and not only is he a witness now he starts to sound like a preacher still talking about King Darius he delivereth and rescueth somebody say mighty God he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth and hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Let me tell you, when people who stand out decide to stand up, a witness is given. It's not just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer too. It's not just for the people of the house of Israel, but all the people and all the kingdoms of hear the testimony of God and lastly this is it I'm done so number one I create an environment for the miraculous number two I give a witness in spite of how the story ends my witness is strong and number three I find my identity not in self myself but my identity is in God because I was willing to risk this self in order to identify with my Savior. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. You have to stand up. You don't stand up over everything. That's just being cantankerous. That's just being fractious. That's just, I don't know, spending too much time on social media. Don't fight over everything. But when God sets you up and something matters, you can stand with confidence and you can say, to the self that is trembling within you. You are not as important to me as the God I serve. And I'm, oh, this is hard. This is some real Christianity right here. I'm not talking about little games we play with each other. I'm talking about real Christianity. I am willing to spin the self in order to glorify God. I find my identity in Him. I reveal his heart. I reveal his kingdom. I reveal his nature. Jesus said it this way, and this is Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Consider yourself blessed if people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you because of me. If that happens, be happy, knowing that you will be rewarded greatly in heaven. And remember, you are in good company. Somebody say good company. Smile at your neighbor. Say, that's talking about me. Thank you very much. You are in good company. They did the same to all my witnesses before you. And then John writes one of the last communications to the New Testament church, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they don't recognize him. When you stand up, what do you do? You recognize him. You identify with him. You say, not my way, your way. Not serve myself, spend myself. I am of heaven. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is they don't recognize God. Beloved, we are God's children right now. Somebody say right now. Right now, we are God's children. However, it is not apparent what we will become. The world doesn't understand who you are. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. First, 
we stand out. You stand out with competence. You stand out with character. You stand out with creativity. You follow peace as, all, as much as you can with all people, but you stand out. You're not driven by the same lusts of the world. You put to discipline the lusts of your flesh. You stand out. You try to be kind. You try to be honest. You go the extra mile because Jesus said you ought to do it. I know that's not as fun as coming up with some little simple thing that you could do, but that's in the book. We go the extra mile. We do that. That is beyond us. We stand out. We stand out. We stand out. And then a day comes when it's not simply this person's preference or that person's preference. It's something about the kingdom of God. And in that moment, because you have stood out, when you stand up, people notice and a witness is given. You create an environment for a miracle. People see you're standing for something more important than yourself. And you are forever identified, not by your name alone, but you're identified by what you stood for. Think of all the people in history who have stood for something and lost their life. They are forever remembered, not simply by their name. What are they remembered by? They're remembered by what they stood for. Stand with me all across the house. You see how I did that? (laughs) Stand with me all over the house. All you lovely people who stand out, God's going to open a door in your life, and you're going to need to stand up. You're going to need to take a chance. You're going to need to pray for somebody you wouldn't normally pray for. You're going to need to spend some time uh, in a ministry you normally would never have the confidence for. You're going to have to take some chances. You're going to have to serve on, on the dream team. You're going to have to commit to a small group. You're going to have to teach a home Bible study. You're going to have to help somebody in a time of trouble. You're going to have to show up when no one else does. You're going to have to stand up. But when you stand up, it will make a difference because you've already stood out. And in your life, you will recognize in that moment is real Christianity because you turn from self and you spin the self. You risk the self order to serve something bigger than yourself something greater than yourself all right that's enough preaching how many of you had needs in your life raise your hands all over the house you have a specific need specific prayer request Uh, let me ask this how many of you know someone who isn't here but they have a tremendous need and you would like to stand in their stead would you raise your hand right now that's uh, 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 almost everybody in the house has a specific need Uh, we want to activate our faith and that requires specific prayer requests Vague prayer requests uh, don't require faith because you wouldn't know if they happened anyway. (laughs) But specific prayer requests requires faith. So right now, we're going to turn this whole house into a, a prayer service of sorts. I want you to be the voice offering intercession for the need, the specific need that you're represented. Uh, If you have a need in your life, your health, your family, your finances, your career, fine. Represent that. But also think of a need of someone who perhaps uh, is on the periphery of your life that you're going to be an intercessor for. And right now, we're going to turn this whole place into a prayer service. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper into praise and worship. Some of our pastors will be down in the front and moving among you. Any of you who would like to be prayed for, step out. They will be wearing masks when they pray for you, so we will be appropriate uh, to the risk of the hour when we do that. 
but we're going to believe that in this house, the Spirit of the Lord makes a difference in your deed. Pray with me right now all across the church. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.